The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about when high school police officers shoot innocent kids, or uh, another way of looking at it is school shootings in reverse, cop shoots student. (laughs) Um, Yes, this is a tragic tale, shocking, quite frankly. Uh, I find it that way. And, um, you know, things, everybody gets all up in arms, so to speak, uh, about kids coming to school and shooting up the school, and of course, well, we should. Uh, You know, that's a whole other (laughs) tragic story. But um, in a sense, what is even worse is when the people who are there and who are supposed to be protecting our kids then wind up almost killing them. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the story of Logan Clark, a student in Reno, Nevada, Nevada at Hug High School. And um, what, uh, how this tragedy unfolded for him, and with us today to tell us all about this is his family's is his family's attorney, his and his family's attorney, David Houston. He is an award-winning attorney with three decades of experience protecting clients' rights in Nevada courts and elsewhere. Um, he's had a number of high-profile clients, such as Hulk Hogan. He's won numerous awards. And they have been um, merited because of his um, success in resolving clients' legal problems. He's been interviewed on numerous programs, radio and television shows, including Howard Stern, Rusty Humphreys, Geraldo Rivera, Larry King, Greta Von Susteren, Nancy Grace, CBS 48 Hours, and Dateline NBC. And um, he's also the creator and moderator of Lawyers, Guns, and Money. I like that, Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Very, very uh, highly charged topics. So welcome to the show. David? Yes, hello, Carol. Nice (laughs) to talk with you. Thank you for having me on your show. And certainly you've raised a number of very interesting issues that Obviously, for the Clark family, my office, and certainly, hopefully, a lot of your listeners are very topical when we start to consider exactly what is or may not be appropriate in reference to our schools and how we protect our young people. Yes, absolutely. Well, why don't we start um, at the beginning? You know, as a psychiatrist, I see things sort of chronologically. Let's start with who Logan Clark was before this incident. 
Um, very simply stated, Logan Clark was a young child. He's 14 years of age now. And Logan had had some difficulties. Those difficulties, of course, included um, a split family trying to deal with the pressures of adolescence. Uh, the same problem, of course, that a number of children deal with were then, I think, compounded by a number of things occurring in Logan's life. He was having difficulty in school, difficulty being bullied, difficulty with his studies, and he would easily be referred to as an at-risk child or a child of special needs because of various problems that existed in his life. And one of those solutions was seen as placing him in what's known as a transition school, and that's what I believe Hug High School was referred to. Uh-huh. And was he, like, did he have cognitive difficulties? You know, in terms of special needs, that these days that describes a lot of different things. Was he right. and, and I know a lot of times people uh, believe special needs is a very specific statement, and you're absolutely correct, it's not. Um, there would be cognitive difficulties, certainly, and as well emotional difficulties in coping with various situations. The end result was it was hoped that there would be sufficient staff and counseling available at this particular school in order to address virtually all of Logan's needs and interests, and obviously that unfortunately did not occur. Okay. And he started being bullied, and there was this whole history of his being bullied before the ultimate event, which occurred, now let me see, the date, um, it's been a while now, (laughs) that was in December, right? Correct. So what what is the chain of events of bullying that led up to that? Well, Logan is, at 14 years of age, relatively small of stature and build, and consequently, Logan, I guess one might say, stood out as someone who might be a potential target for bullies. Uh, Logan was going through a number of problems with other older children at the school, including but not limited to threats to take his clothing, embarrass him in a number of different ways, physical violence. And as such, Logan actually was placed in a position where his family, his father in particular, reported problems to the school but unfortunately those problems were not addressed or attended to as per his father's wishes, and Logan actually reached a point where the day prior to the event where he was shot, Logan had great difficulty again with some of the older seniors, and he was told essentially the next day they were going to beat him up again and potentially take his clothing from him. So that really leads into then what happens the next day of the shooting. Yes, and before we get to that, you know, that this is a problem, and, and I'm sure you've been um, aware of it as well. This problem of parents, I mean, I see it in families that I treat, um, it, well, in cases that I've dealt with as an expert witness. Um, parents, even when the kids come home and tell their parents, and not all kids do, which they should, but even when the kids tell their parents about how seriously they're being bullied, and even when the parents go into school and tell the school, it's the the school, in, in pretty much all the cases that I've been involved with, the school does very little. At most, the teacher will say to uh, the bully, 
um, that's not nice. Don't you bully Johnny. And, <laughs> and that's kind of the end of that. Well, you know, what's interesting in this case is in some ways we almost have that reverse analysis. We have Logan who wants to be that young boy who can stand up for himself. And as a smaller child, he's always had that sort of persecution from others, people making fun of him because of his stature. But it's one of those situations also where your kids don't necessarily always want to come home, talk to the parents and say, I'm weak, I can't handle this myself, I need your intercession. And, of course, as you know, when kids do that, if they get a, quote, reputation as a rat or a snitch on the schoolyard, it actually creates more problems for them. So yeah. you'll have instances of bullying where you're, you'll have kids that parents actually can see a change in their behavior, their demeanor, their unwillingness to go to school, and the parents don't necessarily have the answers. So, of course, the parents go to the school, and they try to find out what's happening, what is going on with my child, and in part, that also took place in this case. And unfortunately, despite the fact this was a, quote, transition school, we have a situation where the needs of that child were certainly not being met to the extent of providing a safe harbor for education. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, that is true that a lot of times, and especially boys, um, and especially boys of small stature, uh, they don't want to admit that they are helpless um, and yes, it often does make the bullying worse, which is why if, if a parent does go in to report it, they kind of need to be uh, doubly on top of things to catch the backlash. Right. And when you have especially transition schools that, quite honestly, should be more inclined to investigate and they're more modeled after the idea that they can anticipate there may be some difficulty for certain members of their student body, you would hope that they would have a very good handle on things that are are occurring on their campus. And unfortunately, in this case, I don't think that was correct. Yes, yes, because, because especially for special needs, you know, kids, the whole gamut of what that can mean, um, there should be, one would have hoped, one would hope, that there would be this extra layer of protection because because they are more vulnerable to being bullied, even if they're not of small stature. Well, and it was also my understanding in this case that the parent of Logan had actually spoken to other individuals and suggested to them Hug High was not the appropriate venue for Logan, that the father felt there were certainly great potentials for problems, and had actually initially requested that Logan be allowed to be placed in a different school, a different learning environment because of these problems and issues. And unfortunately, as in most cases where a problem arises, he was overruled, and a decision was made that would be the best place for his son. Hmm. So, okay, so going back to where you had taken us, so these, these bullies, these seniors had warned him that the next day they were going to uh, beat him up again, take his clothes. Um, and wasn't there something that uh, where, I'm trying to remember, um, wasn't there something where they thought he had told, that Logan had told the school something about one of these, had, had, had ratted on somebody? 
Exactly. And that was, again, as I discussed earlier, a method of compounding the problem is when you are seen as cooperating with school officials or authorities, and in the vernacular of the streets, you're referred to as a snitch or a rat or something of that nature, which, of course, just simply increases the bullying and it places that particular student in the uncomfortable position of having others then involved because, of course, you're not in the, uh, I guess, code uh, supposed to go to the teachers mm-hmm. or counselors and tell on another kid who may or may not be doing something to you. And I noticed some, they would think, well, that's somewhat startling. Children, of course, can freely report. But to believe that, actually, I guess, demonstrates our age because it removes us from that environment by so many years that we don't really remember what it was like, perhaps, to be in high school and to have to Mm -hmm. contend with the social problems and peer pressure that, frankly, Logan was contending with at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell us about the day. Okay, D-Day, and unfortunately, it's pretty well ingrained in my memory because to me it was so shocking. We have a situation where Logan arguably arms himself in order to go to school because he's fearing that he's going to be attacked again. A number of his friends apparently were aware and word had spread on campus. There were actually students with... uh, cellular telephones prepared to film the event. Mm. And it was, to me, reminiscent of those those old movies where they were throwing the Christians to the lions and all of the spectators wanted to watch and cheer the process. And Logan, of course, is in a situation where at this point, because his friends are actually fearful of retribution or Mm. the potential of being beaten as well, Mm. Logan is pretty much then left on his own. Logan at that point is accosted. Logan is accosted to the extent that he attempts to escape. And as I understand it, the allegation is five seniors were essentially prepared to do what they had promised to do. And Logan produced the two kitchen knives in an attempt to fend them off, literally crying, get away from me, get away from me. And I think as the video of this case demonstrates, Logan then is literally running through this crowd of students, some of which are holding up iPhones or some other type of cellular phone, filming this entire episode. And you can actually hear the students participating vocally, almost with encouragement, not necessarily for Logan, at Mm. which point we see Logan running through the crowd not accosting anyone, not attempting to engage anyone, but essentially attempting to escape and to get away. He's also, of course, verbalizing this by virtue of what he is saying to the people who are around him, looking in every direction you can imagine, trying to make sure someone isn't coming for him for the purposes of finishing the assault. Mm. Because what you can also see in the video is the blood that's coming from his mouth and or nose to where he's already been punched in the face more than once. Logan, in turn, is telling people to stay away from him, literally going in circles. And unfortunately, this is when he meets with the school police officer who comes upon Logan doing exactly that. 
And you know, when when you think about um, whatever cognitive and emotional problems he had before, I mean, when you look at him in the videos, I've watched a bunch of videos, uh, you know, all different angles and so on. Um, I mean, he looks like a like a terrified lion or a terrified, <laughs> I guess, a deer, a terrified deer um, being hunted by lions. Um, you know, yeah, that's that's a very good way to put it. He's definitely fearful. He's definitely wild-eyed in the sense of fear, as far as anticipating an additional assault, not knowing who's going to do it not knowing whether or not this crowd around him that seems to be yelling and chanting represents as hostile or otherwise. In short, I think the phrase scared to death is probably very applicable to how he was feeling at the moment. And really what he was searching for is a method of escape. I think I used the phrase safe harbor before, and certainly it appears to be applicable as to the video and what he was attempting to accomplish. Yes. Okay, and there he is, you know, almost going in circles, trying, as you said, looking on all sides of him, trying to protect himself from all sides. And then we have a cop, a school cop. Right. We have a school cop who either by happenstance comes upon the scene or is walking his normal route, for lack of a better term, And he sees Logan. He sees Logan essentially dancing in circles, screaming at everyone to stay away from him. And at that point, apparently chooses, at least in that officer's mind, what he considers to be the appropriate course of action, which is to draw his sidearm, a 9mm pistol, pointed at Logan. He then says something that's really not distinguishable on the video, In other words, there's so much crowd noise, you can't really even hear what the officer says. And then within a matter of seconds, issues a command similar to put the knives down, and literally as soon as that statement leaves his mouth, a very short time later, the 9mm bullet leaves the pistol he is holding and hits Logan Clark in the chest area. Well, and that's... uh... Yes, well, we have to talk about that, how, you know, didn't even, didn't even try to, uh, to disarm, like to get another part of his body. But I'm hearing the music. This is a place that we need to stop. Um, we're talking today about Logan Clark and about when high school police officers shoot innocent kids. My guest is attorney David Houston, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about school shootings in reverse. Uh, This particular case is about a cop who shoots a student instead of a student shooting either a cop or a teacher or other students. Very tragic story being told by the attorney of the student. Uh, The attorney is uh, David Houston and the uh, student is Logan Clark, and this is, took place at Hug High School in Nevada, in Reno, Nevada. And when we left, we left at a cliffhanger when the, um, as the, as the attorney so visually put it, um, well, go ahead, why don't you say it again? Thank you, Carol. As we last spoke, it was the officer who was apparently initially advising Logan Clark of something that we can't hear because of the crowd noise but literally within a matter of seconds, and I don't mean 10 seconds or 5 seconds, I mean maybe 2 seconds, the officer utters a command reminiscent of to drop the knife, albeit Clark is some distance from him, and for that matter is not attempting to stab or threaten anyone, and literally when the last word is out of the officer's mouth within that few moments the 9mm jacketed slug is leaving the barrel of his firearm and, of course, collides directly with Logan Clark's chest. At that point, naturally, Mr. Clark is down and, of course, things proceed from there. But what troubles me about this entire episode is more so the fact that it appeared as though this school was woefully unprepared to deal with this type of problem except by the utilization of deadly force, there was no attempt to simply say, Logan, calm down, everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. In other words, an attempt to de-escalate as opposed to going straight to the application of deadly force. And what you also have to remember, Carol, and this is for those parents out there that say, well, he deserved what he got. Um, there were a number of students that were directly in that line of fire in the event that steel-jacketed bullet had left Logan's body, which, by the way, it did, that it was fortunate, to say the least, it didn't hit another student and lodge in their body. So the firing of the weapon under those circumstances, first of all, absent any effort to de-escalate, represents, in my opinion, a very objectionable and heinous act. But at the same point, we're also then jeopardizing other students who happen to be within that line of fire. Yes, yes. And not to mention, not only could... Go ahead. I struggle with the idea that this school is incapable of dealing with any problem short of deadly force, 
And certainly in this case, that's the only thing exhibited as a solution. From anyone and everyone I've spoken to involved in any sort of child psychology or child psychiatry or situations involving stress and the best possible method to deal with the same, all, all include attempting to de-escalate absent the use of deadly force. And that just clearly wasn't done here. Yes, absolutely, especially given that um, they know, even if the police um, officer didn't know specifically that Logan um, was in a special education class, um, certainly, uh, you know, there there should have been some extra precautions. I mean, you know, the fact that, that he was in such a state, such a confused state at that point. And like you bring up, um, it's, it's questionable as to whether he even heard the officer because of all the noise the other kids were making. And, um, and yes, there's, there's absolutely no excuse for any of that, why he didn't use a taser, why he didn't use pepper spray, um, any of this. I mean, why he had a gun, a regular gun, you know, a gun that shoots real bullets uh, to begin with at a high school. Well, you know, Carol, this is, perhaps even a bit more startling, the officer was not equipped with any other means of control and containment, save and except a 9mm pistol. And when we looked at the idea of why not use a taser, why not equip these officers with non-deadly force, I believe the response I had received was they didn't equip the officers with tasers because to utilize a taser on a child presents a health risk. Well, yes. (laughs) Somehow, the idea of using a 9mm pistol doesn't. And quite frankly, I'm struggling with that explanation as to why a non-deadly form taser wouldn't be used. But look at it this way as well. In a state penitentiary, before officers, correctional officers are allowed to fire, they have non-deadly means they're required to employ. In other words, they can't simply open up on an inmate. And if we treat our prisoners that way, Mm. think in this country, land of the free, home of the brave, and all of that, we would also find a better way to teach our adolescents and to control our adolescents than shooting them in the chest. Yes, absolutely. So tell us what happened. Well, what happened, one thing that happened next is uh, this 911 call. There were two of them, and they were both absurd. Um, I mean, it just showed what, how unprepared they were. Tell us about that. Well, after the shooting, of course, Logan is down on the ground. Um, If you note the video, there's actually one or two students that try to approach, not for the purpose of exercising any sort of violent act, but for the purpose of trying to see if they could help. They're essentially told to get away, and I, I understand that. But at the same point, there's naturally then the need for medical care. And as I have been advised, because I do not know the specifics, um, I've been advised that the school officer then at that point attempts to uh, provide what might be called emergent care for the moment. And I'm uncertain what that involves other than a box of Band-Aids or Tylenol. But the end result is he eventually then receives medical care But the whole school, of course, is placed on a code red type lockdown, as would occur if there was a school shooter other than a school police officer. Mm -hmm. And I know that in and of itself not only creates havoc for the students and the parents of those students, but as well may in fact delay actual medical care from getting to him. 
and mm-hmm. we're trying to gather the remaining information as to how long it actually took to get medical care to Logan under those circumstances. Um, Logan then, of course, is hospitalized in critical condition, and there was some genuine worry that he wouldn't survive or that he would succumb to the gunshot. And at that point, thankfully, the hospital and the doctors were able to literally save his life. Logan, to this day, still remains in the hospital because of continuing medical problems. And those problems include, as you might imagine, infections and required additional surgeries. Once he was in the hospital and they thought briefly maybe coming out of the woods, he had a stroke. And that stroke then required additional brain surgery, which literally means opening his skull to try to deal Mm. with the problems created by the stroke. Since Mm. that point in time, there have been, I believe, two additional surgeries attempting to deal with the infections in his body that were more than likely caused by the gunshot and then subsequent surgical intervention that caused additional infection. And to this day, we keep hoping that Logan is, quote, out of the woods, but it seems as though Logan still has some hills to climb before that's going to actually happen. And part of one of the problems was that because of the gunshot, um, he lost part of his lung, and and it was the surgery, if I'm correct, um, it was because of the need to do the surgery that he had the stroke, um, I mean, in other words, it wasn't just that he wouldn't happen to have a... The stroke was related no. to the original injury from the gunshot, is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, there, there's no question that subsequent medical problems are a direct correlation of the gunshot, and I don't and, think anybody would argue to the contrary. It's unusual, naturally, for 14-year-old children right. in very good physical condition prior to being shot in the chest to throw blood clots. It's just right. not a normal course of events. But right. I haven't heard so far that anyone's trying to suggest the additional medical problems were somehow due to his physical condition pre-gunshot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody would say that. I think everyone pretty much realizes there is certainly a traumatic event that occurs in the body when you're shot in the chest by a 9 millimeter pistol. Right. And you know, the, the one thing that we haven't talked about and something that I do think is very important was what appeared to be by some people this, in my opinion, callous statement of he got what he deserved, who cares, you know, that sort of thing. And it really surprised me because I did not think anyone could see the justification in shooting a child. Mm -hmm. And I understand that Logan certainly shouldn't have had the knives. I agree with that 100%. But I guess the question becomes, was there a better or more appropriate method to deal with this problem than shooting a 14-year-old? And it really just, it, it left me somewhat, I think the expression is flummoxed, to hear that people would actually suggest this 14-year-old got what was coming to him and those sorts of comments that did seem to be um, uttered by folks who either just didn't know what had happened or who didn't care and this idea of some sort of groundswell outrage that we have school police officers that don't have alternative means of dealing with a problem, save and accept deadly force, and that being somehow appropriate or okay. It, to me, it just wasn't, and it seemed that that would be true of everyone. But as I said, I was surprised, and the point of discussion then seems to be how could a mature adult 
regard this situation as something appropriate. And in fact, I believe it was the school district superintendent within hours of this shooting who was lauding her employees with having done a spectacular job or they've done everything absolutely correctly and how someone could say that when the end result is a 14-year-old laying on the ground bleeding out from a chest wound. I just yes. I don't understand it. Yes, yes. I mean, she was so much more concerned with um, avoiding, trying to avoid liability, trying to avoid a lawsuit, um, and really just coldly talking about this, not caring about Logan, as if he was just nothing, you know, as if what happened to him is just, uh, well, well, you know, too bad. Um, and the thing also I wanted to mention about how before this, even though he was small of stature and all that, um, he was supposedly somewhat athletic, and he and his family had hoped that he was going to get um, a college scholarship based on his athletic ability and because they wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise, and that obviously does not seem to be the case anymore. No. I think what we're, you know, obviously going to contend with is the residual physical damage by virtue of what's happened, and clearly that'll remove a lot of opportunity, but at the same point, to consider from the mindset of a 14-year-old, how do you process being shot by an adult when you are asking essentially for help because you've been beaten up, no one is willing to listen, everyone around you is screaming and videotaping, looking for the next best YouTube entry, and I I don't get it. And it concerns me, and it concerned me to the point where Logan's case to me then started to represent more than just Logan, and that is that we have this cavalier approach to people that may not be our friends or relatives who are hurt, and to suggest that that was the appropriate response without even having the time to determine what happened by an investigation was really startling to me. And it was startling to me, the superintendent, as stated, was essentially um, with no investigation claiming that the actions of the district, school district employees, were above reproach and exactly what they should have been. And I have a, a son who is in public school, not of the same age, but certainly close enough, and that in and of itself caused me concern because it seems then to embolden mm. other district officers to hear that, well, we can do that, and it's thought of as okay. It's just yeah. not. And, and to claim that the district employees acted uh, not only in a, in a good manner, but in a manner as they should have without even a completed investigation really was startling. And yes, certainly uh, even we weren't taking the position that all was well. We were t- taking the position there were a number of questions that needed to be asked and answered, and we had a lot of concerns. But to adopt a position with no information, facts, investigation, or authority really sort of conveyed to me that that may be the mindset of the school district where my son is a student. And that yes. was a difficult, uh, difficult thing to contend with from my perspective. Yes, especially since more and more schools are arming guards or cops or even teachers, which I think is really going down the wrong path here. Um, But, you know, what you were saying about what Logan is going to think about a cop shooting him, um, 
in the chest when he was really needing help. Instead of, so instead of the cop protecting him, he shot him. But also, all those kids who were standing around, and what's the message that they got? That, um, you know, which is going to be very long-lasting. I mean, first of all, I'm sure a lot of them have PTSD from being up close and personal to all this and being in danger themselves uh, because of, you know, who knows where the bullet was going to land. Um, but, you know, they also now have an attitude towards cops. Oh, well, it's too dangerous to uh, ask a cop for help. Um, you know, if cops want to shoot you. They can sh- they even shoot kids. Well, I never understood the philosophy of shooting our children at school. I still don't. I understand. You can have situations that escalate to a point where there is no alternative. But as parents, human beings, we have to ask ourselves, is every situation worthy of this type of conduct because it's the only answer? And when I consider the lack of any attempt to control it by something other than deadly force, I don't come to the conclusion that it is okay. I think without any attempt to control a situation by non-deadly force, we have literally opened the door by example to that's how we deal with our problems. And again, going back to my original premise when I started on board with this case, We don't shoot our children. We just don't. And if there is an alternative, we're obligated as human beings, as adults, as people that are trying to convey a message, to actually attempt something other than deadly force as, frankly, our primary and sole method of control and or containment. I I still and firmly believe to this day if that officer had simply stated, calm down, son, everything yeah. is going to be okay, then yeah. we certainly may have had a different result. And I don't have a crystal ball. I can't guarantee anyone that. But I do know the opportunity to pull that trigger existed both before the shot was fired and certainly could have existed after the shot was fired. So in yeah. short, without trying the alternatives, we'll never know. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, we need to take another break. We're talking today about when high school police officers shoot innocent kids. Uh, my guest is attorney David Houston. We, uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the case of Logan Clark, a 14-year-old high school student who is still hospitalized, still struggling to recover from his injuries caused by a school cop um, who <laughs> didn't choose to use anything um, more thoughtful than uh, shooting him in the chest, anything, any other kind of way to de-escalate the situation um, or to even aim at another part of his body than his chest. Uh, school shooting in reverse, cop shoots student. <laughs> it's like dog bites, man bites dog. Um, my guest is David Houston. He's an attorney uh, in Nevada. He's a high-profile attorney. And um, David, let me ask you about how, what, what, give us an update on where things stand now. Well, as it is now, there was a report, of course, an investigative report that was being compiled by one of the outside police agencies and that report was supposed to have been made available some weeks ago. We have not seen the report. We do not know the conclusions. I unfortunately am somewhat of a skeptic, perhaps a bit jaded, so I'm not anticipating much in the way of a complete, thorough, and fair report, but rather perhaps something a bit more one-sided. And as I understand it, at least a major portion of the investigation has been devoted to questioning those students who are either amongst the five that may have been the primary aggressors or uh, those who would have been supportive or friendly with those folks. And I don't want to throw rocks at the investigative report that I have not seen, but nonetheless, I'm anxiously awaiting whatever conclusions may be drawn by the authorities when that report is made public. I just hope it's sooner than later, but naturally at this point, it seems as though it's somewhat delayed from its original anticipated completion time. As far as Logan's concerned, I think as we covered, he's still somewhat touch and go, albeit not in a critical ICU-type situation where we're fearing the potential or the specter of death at any moment, and that naturally is good news, but we certainly have these continuing medical problems that are directly related to the shooting. So in short, we're in more of a standby mode now, hopefully awaiting a positive outcome in the sense that the report finds, as we have indicated all along, there should have been a different method or a different approach. Perhaps our school police should be armed with what we call non-deadly force 
so that there is a method of controlling a student that may have a particular emotional problem other than shooting them and taking their life. And we certainly don't want to jeopardize other students that may be in proximity of a student who is being shot by a police officer. So we still have to await this final verdict of sorts from this investigative report. And at that point, naturally, we can address those. I'm anxious, as stated, to see what they actually think and whether or not in some way they may agree with us that there was a better and certainly should be a better approach and procedure. Yes, and of course this can set precedent for the rest of the country. Um, it's such an interesting and, and scary or sad thing to think about how, understandable, but to think about how Logan's friends, people, kids who did know more about, more details about the bullying that he was the um, victim of and how they are afraid to, to speak out and to give name names and give details. I mean, I guess the names, they know the names, but, but you know, to, to speak out to, uh, to sort of support um, the idea that Logan was being bullied because they're afraid of being bullied themselves. What, what um, I mean, are you, I don't know, what are you going to be able to offer them if this goes to trial? Well, the interesting thing is, and it's unfortunate, but we do live in a society where if people don't want to, quote, get involved, they don't want to be part of something that might be unpleasant or uncomfortable, and I think as parents, we in some ways pass that to our kids, possibly even by example. In this particular case, I know that there were a number of people who were, frankly, just afraid to get involved. They didn't want to speak against other people. And as previously discussed, it creates a situation where you're then viewed differently by your student body. And I can't say that I have direct memories of high school. It has been that long ago. But I can say I understand the concept of young people in high school not wanting to offend their peers or in some way disrupt their own social status. And I get it. But as this case proceeds along, we've been fortunate enough to personally speak with a number of these children, some of whom were actual witnesses to the event and others, of course, that have more of the background information as to, have, as to how this occurred. And it's, it's of note that these kids are all worried, is anybody going to know I talked to you? Is anybody going to know what I said? And when we have to answer in the affirmative, it does definitely impact their willingness or desire to be involved. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't really do it anonymously. I mean, you know, legally, you can't really do it anonymously. I mean, it's not going to hold any weight if it's anonymous. Right, and I know a lot of what we've tried to do is encourage other kids to understand that being involved doesn't necessarily represent as a negative and I get it that maybe some kids don't want to be involved at all simply because it is unpleasant, it is uncomfortable, but hopefully we're getting the word out sufficient to where some of these kids can come forward and tell us what they know. 
all that we're looking for is what happened. We're not trying to fashion a particular statement or story. We're simply trying to determine what happened. It has two phases, one of which is for Logan, of course, and the other is how can we determine what happened so that we might institute appropriate protocol and procedures that will avoid this same thing from happening again. And I think I had said in uh, an interview when this first took place that for those folks who are so dead set in believing that a 14-year-old got what he deserved, think about it if it was their child. Because anything in this world is possible, and what we try to do is create safeguards that prevent kids from being hurt. And if that safeguard doesn't even include the option for a police officer to use a non-deadly method of containment or control, then what are we doing in our schools? So there is really an overriding question here, not just Logan and what happened to him, but how do we avoid this from happening again? Yes, and one positive thing coming out of this is Logan's law. Where, where is that standing? I could not tell you that at the moment. I know our legislature has just gone into session, and quite frankly, I think it's a very topical subject, and I think it is that situation that deserves immediate attention so that we can actually get to a point where when you send your child to school, you can pretty well be assured that no one's going to shoot your child or your child might be an accidental victim of a law enforcement officer attempting to control what the officer thinks is a situation that requires deadly force. I don't know how we get to that point of zero to 60 with no intervening attempts. And that, I think, is what Logan's Law would be directly related to in an attempt to try to protect and try to prevent this from happening in the future. And again, going back to those folks that think, well, he was armed with knives, he represented a threat. And the answer to that would be, certainly, you can make that argument. But at the same point in time, you have to understand why he had the knives, what he was doing, what he was attempting to accomplish. And if anyone can watch that video and suggest that he represented a threat, then I don't think they're actually watching what he was doing, what he was saying, and the obvious. He's bleeding from his face. Something has just happened to him. And to not take that into consideration or offer any alternative than shooting him is troubling, to say the least. Yes, like a wounded puppy, actually. Um, now, I saw a video of, uh, I guess it was a news report, of, um, I think, the father of one of Logan's friends and maybe the friends himself, various people who were knocking on neighbors' doors to get them to sign a petition in relation to Logan's law. Correct, and it's, it was after the fact that we did see this outpouring of community support, and it wasn't just for Logan as a person. It was for the conception that we don't shoot our children, and yeah. I know a number of people held what we would call a vigil for Logan where they actually had a march where they went from one point to another to draw interest and concern to this situation, which included his brother actually going door to door and stopping people on the street to ask them to sign this petition because 
I don't think across the board anyone would suggest that shooting a child is appropriate. Now, there are those that are a little bit jaded, hardened, or callous that seem to think, well, if it happened, he got what he deserved. But then again, if as a 14-year-old we all got what we deserved, this would be a pretty poorly constructed world. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, in part, I hope this does, I mean, of course, the primary thing is I hope uh, Logan recovers. But after that, I hope that this does go to trial because I think um, the, we would, the country would benefit from um, this, you know, coming, being, becoming even more high profile and people paying even more attention, certainly with Logan's Law as well, but um, so, that pe- so that we can stop this from happening at other schools because, you know, it's not even just emboldening them, as you said, it, well, I mean, it does embolden them, but also it makes it the way the um, police officer, the the uh, press conference that they had right after, it was like appraising the police officer for what he did. It's, you know, it wasn't even just saying it's okay, it was saying you did a great job. Yeah, that, that was startling to me. I, I think I would have adopted a position somewhat different to the effect of we need to investigate this and find out what happened, and we're all very concerned that this happened at one of our schools, and we will take all necessary steps to make certain that events like this, if at all avoidable, do not happen in the future. If I would have heard yeah. that message, I certainly would have received a great deal more comfort than simply praising all of the employees, including the police officer, for their actions with absolutely no factual basis. To me, that was just a knee-jerk, whitewash reaction that was unfortunate, again, to say the least. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. Is it, do you know if, there's any, if the petition is online at all? Uh, you know, I do not it. believe that it is, but again, I'm not certain. I have not had any uh-huh. part of the petition drive itself. Uh-huh. That's something the members of the community had picked up. My goal has been to try to learn precisely what happened, and at the same point in time, of course, monitoring Logan, his condition, and also the condition of his family. We have to remember that the family potentially has a brother and a son who of course, could pass away or could have passed away from these wounds. And that in and of itself has created a great deal of difficulty for the family in attempting to cope. So we're more or less on a day-to-day basis with this, Carol. And, of course, we hope for the best and we hope for a full recovery. Although, how do you ever fully recover from being shot with the residual damages that Logan will and continues to deal with? That's just a whole other question. Yes, yes. Well, at least, you know, one good thing, the family has you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Obviously, you're going to do a great job when it comes down to it. So so thank you very much for being on uh, Dr. Carol's couch and for uh, explaining this and especially the, the larger uh, significance of this, you know, obviously for, for Logan himself, but also for all the 14-year-olds and, and any age kids who are in school, schools these days as guns become more prevalent in the hands of the people who are supposed to be protecting the kids. So thank Absolutely, you. and I'm sure everybody understands this is a very, very compelling question for everyone. 
And it's not just about Logan anymore. It's how we do things as a society, and in part, that's going to impact all of us. So everybody yeah. should just reserve judgment, and let's see where this case goes. Yes, absolutely. So thank you, Attorney David Houston. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.